Aguilar, Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bursts through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lennon. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. We're starting with transfer news. Because the, the worm has turned and the game has changed. RG Snyman going to join Leinster next summer. It's uh, I, I thought it was going to cause more controversy, actually, when I read the initial story, when it woke me up on, on Friday morning last week. Um, and eventually I found the griping comments that I was looking for. But there's a lot of reason commentary about it. Do you think it's a wise use of Leinster's resources to spend big on a player uh, in a position where they have a lot of Irish talent and um, where the guy has had a, a big injury history? I think it's yeah. I think it's a really interesting signing. I think it's a good signing for Leinster. Um, is it the best use of resources? Like that's something that'll only be answered, you know, after the event. Um, certainly since Leinster lost to Saracens in the 2019 Heineken Cup final, uh, there's been a lot of talk am- amongst Leinster fans about um, essentially a quote-unquote monster second row um, because we faced one in the three finals that we've lost in Will Skelton. And... Snyman is absolutely fills that role, you know, completely fills out that role. Um, the injury, his injury record recently is appalling. Um, Munster got no value from him through no fault of their own. Um, his, his first injury happened within 10 minutes. They were very cautious in bringing him back. They really eased him back in after the guts of a year out and he was injured again. And, you know, then missed, you know, 16 months out. They've never rushed him. Um, and, you know, then he was able to come back at the end of their season. That's when he contributed to them winning the European or the URC. Uh, but then played more minutes in about three and a half, four months for South Africa than he had in the previous 36 months for uh, Munster. And then got injured and probably got injured and played through the injury and then is is doing another injury rehab stint. So there's a big um, query, I think, rather than red flag or maybe both over his long-term fitness. But uh, in terms of, in terms of a, uh, if you were to write sort of a description of him, six foot nine, 130 kilos, double World Cup winner, extraordinary athlete it's exactly what Lance have been looking for for about five years I'm just looking up the <clears throat> Marcel Kutzia I won't, I won't get to it but my memory of Marcel Kutzia when he joined Ulster was that he'd been uh, he'd been he'd missed nearly two seasons from the previous three 
due to knee injuries. Uh, he had been a Springbok, but then he, he kind of, you know, he just he hadn't been able to compete uh, at that level, and he wasn't in the Springboks just because he's injured all the time. But he was brilliant for uh, Ulster. I hope I'm remembering that correctly. That is my memory was that he, I think, didn't he get a knee injury in the first I think, season I think, he was at Ulster? Yeah. Um, I think he played very sparingly, if at all, in his first two seasons with Ulster, but I don't remember entirely correctly. So in terms of like, how do you, how do you sell your, uh, your scarce resources? When Leinster got beat in that final against La Rochelle, the most recent one, my immediate reaction was that they had to actually find, a, you know, a number of really top quality forwards to play um, in particular and second row specifically. So I think he's an absolute brilliant fit for Leinster. Um and I think you have to you have to understand that you have to spend big money to get these guys. There isn't like a load of they're, they're just you don't get that quality by by signing a guy and he just comes right for you. Um, I think you have to buy the quality. Um, Snyman wanted to stay in Ireland. It was actually Sam Warburton sort of flagged it. I think the weekend before, maybe two weekends before. I think it was the weekend before Thorny broke the story that. Uh, he thought Snyman would be a good fit for Leinster. And I went into the season wondering would Leinster sign Alwyn Jones because he went on a medical joker contract to uh, Toulon, but it was only for 10 or 12 weeks. I sort of thought, particularly when I saw him on TV3, I thought, oh, AW, AWJ is, he's, he's getting used to Dublin. He's, he's kind of, um, he'll come right. Even for Leinster, you're sort of going, do you know something? You need a guy who's going to be really good for three or four weekends in a row. You don't need somebody who's going to be really good for the entire season. Like Leinster <coughs> have enough players, are well coached enough to be able to navigate most of the season and get into the playoffs. So really what you need are really high performers at the right time of the year. So look, he, he could be injured for those, he could be missing, but I mean, um, so be it. Like if he's, if he's injured for, if he's injured for four months of the season and he's okay for those matches, the money will be worth it. Yeah, and injury is injury. You know, uh, people have got used now to the idea as well. Certainly, the Leicester fans I've talked to, they have got used to the idea that this fellow is quote unquote injury prone. So there is a certain feeling that, yeah, he'll have injuries. Like, he won't play 25 games in the season for us. And that might be wrong. He might have just been unlucky and got injuries. But uh, you, I can't predict how it's going to pan out. Except I think it's a good signing. Um, it's notable that it's like, it seems like a change in tack in, what Le in the kind of player that Leinster are signing. The last few signings... Um, Michael Alatoa, Charlie Natai, um, those players are a tier below in terms of their international pedigree, uh, definitely, than a player like Orgy Steinman. And um, I think the other thing to take into account of that Leinster transfer policy is that the other ones who weren't, well, like kind of transfers, but there were project players, and now that's out the window. So do you think there's, do you think it's an overall like a reassessment of what you do with your transfers, 
or I is it? it I, I think it's a reassessment of what you're allowed to. I I always considered it that New Sephora had blocked them from signing any anyone more expensive. Like just on the basis that Leinster could afford somebody good. Um, it's an attractive organization to join, both from point of view of what Dublin's like as a city and um, how good the rugby team is. And yet, you know, since uh, they signed Scott Fardy, who played in the World Cup final and like was extremely good for Leinster, they haven't signed anybody comparable. And you sort of go, ah, like there, there must be demand to come there. So I thought that... Um, that was imposed on them. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that was the sort of player they were looking for. I think the other element to it, of course, is is Nienaber. That, um, like, when, if you compare Leinster's signing policy to Munster's signing policy with getting Dialende and Orgy Snyman, you go, Jesus, like, why wouldn't, you know, why couldn't we have signed Dialende and Orgy Snyman? And then you go, was because they had Yo and Van Gran. Like, Yo, Van Gran knew them. He, he was able to make the phone call. He was able to make the, the personal invitation. And I think that was a significant difference. Um, and I think I think Nia is a huge factor in, in Snyman. Now, I mean, Snyman was in Ireland already and wanted to stay in Ireland. And with Jean Klein being South African again, um, like he had to leave. Um, so... You know, Leinster made sense for him, but like I mean, geez, you could make the argument that Ulster would have oh, made, so sense, would have made sense as well. Ulster would have made sense as well. Like so, it, it's 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 a great move for it's a great move for Leinster. And I guess like if you've lost these tournaments, like what two in a row for against Will Skelton in particular, that you look at it and you go, it's it's a very obvious hole. Um. Like and this is the sort of the profile of the player you're looking to fill it. Do you any I do you any comments about the change in policy or of the of the of the signings? No, I agree that I don't think if um and this is not like some sort of tinny veil dig at Lancaster. I just feel that if Lancaster were still coach, we probably wouldn't have been able to get um we probably wouldn't have so Lancaster would probably wouldn't have been able to get Snyman. I think the the fact that Nienaberg has coached him, I think in think in every uh, Springbok appearance he's made, um, there's a strong personal relationship there. So I, that was a, a key element to it. Um, with regards to it going shopping from like world-class players, yeah, I, I, I can't figure out exactly why that has happened. Like, if you consider the last one, as Andy mentioned, was Scott Hardy in 2017, um, like the other players that we brought in, I think Gibson Park came the year before. James Lowe came in 17-18 as well. Like Gibson Park and James Lowe are the type of player that anybody could have got if they'd set their minds to it. Um, Friday, there was always going to be a decent price on him. Um, the players that we've got in the interim, some of them being uh, decent contributors, um, but it's uh, there has been very low levels of expectation for them when i say very low yeah i mean yeah not very high um when i say very low i mean not very high that's a stupid thing to say but i, I mean like when we signed charlie nanti people go oh, i remember him but like charlie nanti's international experience is is limited to 14 minutes for the all blacks now he's extremely unlucky and i, I think he's a super player uh but that's 
that is the Dear Tash experience, 14 minutes. Jason Jenkins, 66 minutes, and probably the worst, one of the most experimental Springbok teams ever played. They played. He played against Wales over in Washington, D.C. And then Michael Alatoa was sometimes in, sometimes out of a good Crusader side of tight head. But um, none of those guys are, are anything like the international pedigree or international accomplishments of R.J. Snyman or Scott Vardy previous to that. And then previous to that, again, you're going back quite a distance. Like, I know that Matt O'Connor signed Lodgy Takiri, but that was a weird signing, and he was well past his best. You know, really before that, you're going back to Brad Thorne in, in 2012. So it's roughly like five years, five years, five years between Thorne and then um, uh, and Vardy and now Snyman. So speaking of Nina Barr's Chargers, uh, not particularly impressive uh, against Sale at the weekend. Like we were both at the game. Uh, it went from thirteen three to Sale to thirty seven thirteen to Sale to Leinster to Leinster. Excuse me. And it was no surprise that Leinster were able to score enough tries to get a bonus point and run away with the game. But they managed to be quite unimpressive while making that big. 34 point swing in a row no they did some things well there but overall they look a lot less slick than under Stuart Lancaster um there's they don't organize as well off the ball they don't over they don't run quite as good or as accurate lines and their handling isn't as good so there's as much grunt and effort as there ever was when I say grunt and effort there's as much activity but they were much slicker under Stuart Lancaster one of the reasons for that I suppose is this was their third game in three with a different out half secondly they have a new coach and there's always going to be his um his direction and how he sets up training literally in terms of what they do or training is clearly going to be different than the previous coach every coach is different from one another so there's a period of which Leinster are in at the moment seeing as Nienaber is really only here three weeks that Leicester are learning again an, uh, a new, essentially, I would say, way of playing. Yeah. Um, did, would you credit any sense of it to World Cup hangover at all? Or do you think that's a bit too, like... I think it's Lancaster's departure. Like, as, as well as Nian Aber's being heralded um and as as positive as the reaction is to him there is i think <clears throat> there could be a tendency to to throw out the stewart baby with the neonabber bathwater that when i'm glad i got that somewhere accurately um that like when, when lancaster announced his departure it it was there was kind of wailing and gnashing of teeth you know and, and how are leinster gonna replace him and just an acknowledgement that he'd done a great job at leinster and then when Neon Aber came in, I said Africa won again. Um, particularly because Leinster had had lost another final, had lost another final and another semi-final. That you go, maybe that you know, greater focus on defense or that mindset change, like that, that's kind of what they need. And arguably it is what they need. But like Lancaster was such a good coach that when he departs, that I think there's going to be an element of decline in, in some areas of the game. Um, do you want to talk about the double captain thing? 
and when 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 they're eventually going to get rid of it. Yeah, well, I think eventually it'll be like next weekend. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to have two. It makes a lot of sense to have two uh, club captains. It doesn't make any sense to have two captains on the pitch. You can't have two captains on the pitch. Second captains, whatever. There should be one captain on the pitch. Uh, you know, pack leader and captain, or backs leader and captain. One of them should be captain. Both club captains, captain for the day as such and such. The only comparison I can think of from the top of my head is Liverpool appointing Julier, Julier and Roy, Roy Evans. Evans together. And like that just never worked. Um, and like there's just there's no precedent for it working. It's only for precedent. It doesn't make sense. Like it, it's like you need the like, ship has two captains. Like yeah, like you need an absolute sovereign. That that's the way these things work. Like you know you know who the boss is. Like you know who to go to talk to. You know who's making the decision. Um, do you kick a goal? Do you go to the corner? You just like that. That's the nature of the role. You you, you can't have two. It just confuses issues. It confuses like it's, the ref. Confuses the ref and. It undermines one of the captains. So at the moment, it's James Ryan, like who's just been undermined because the refs just go, I'm not talking to you. Yeah, like the previous one, it was that Matthew Cardi got irritated with James Ryan after pretty much after about 10 or 12 minutes and said, I'm only going to talk to Gary. The, the one most recently, the ref, like James Ryan did nothing to the ref. The ref just bullied him. So I'm not talking to you. I gave him the silent treatment. And, and, and the referees have to take that point of view because if, if they... Uh, entertained it for a minute. You just you'd have four captains the next week, mm. all of them fucking badgering the refs from in in different parts of the pitch. Like you just, nah. It's I. I suppose James Ryan was a great underage captain and is a great guy to lead by example, but has quite a poor record as captain and it doesn't seem to help either the team or him play. But yeah, you want him to get him to be captain. Gary Ringrose doesn't really have any track record as a captain that I'm aware of. Um. But they sort of see like a, a leadership potential in him. And again, like to go back to Lancaster, Lancaster would have looked at that sort of color coding of personalities, which is a sort of a, a Jungian thing. And basically you break people down into four types of personality. And you can equate them to like classical, when I say classical, like I think uh, Aristotelian norms or um stoic and extrovert i can't remember what the four things are and just said a lot of the leinster guys are blue a lot of them are like they're they're quiet they're quite introverted they they like detail they're very easy to coach because they'll do exactly what you tell them but like none of them are ellis gench none of them are bongo banambi like you know you're not getting like just wild looking lads roaring out at the place it just like <laughs> black rock and michaels don't produce that you know and um Again, like that, that was just another one of the things that Lancaster was sort of attuned to that isn't in the building anymore. Um, so, you know, I think they they try to work around it, but nah, they just need to stick to one of them, or alternate between them, even. But or alternate them on a match day. But yeah. even yeah, it's one, like one, yeah, yeah, one, yeah, one or two other, one or two other. Okay. Um, that's as much as much eventfulness as, as Leinster got. Much more eventful was the fantastic game at Sandy Park on Great Sunday. Great game, yeah. Like, I'll underline again my dissatisfaction with this tournament is that Munster will almost certainly still get out of this group uh, because two-thirds of the teams qualify. 
but they have jeopardized um, getting a favorable draw in the second round if and when they qualify. The most remarkable thing about it is how well they played for so much of the match and yet how they managed or they or Exeter managed to take the game away from them with just a really strong 15 minutes towards the end. Um, their try, their last try in particular, I just thought was evidence of like so many things that wouldn't have happened under Van Cran. The the style who's, of whose last try? Uh, Munster's last yeah. try. Um sweeping up the field and eventually finishing in the corner after several phases. Yeah. Just and obviously they were able to identify and exploit weaknesses in what Exeter were doing. But just lovely like hands and quality of handling and, and uh continuity of play. I thought their first half was excellent. Really excellent. And they took it into the second half. I felt that Crowley, uh, Anton Frisch, Tom O'Hearn had uh, excellent and Nankabella, who I really like, really, really strong performances. Crowley especially. I felt his 40 minutes was not quite flawless. You know, he threw an intercept, I believe, or threw an intercept on advantage. But he's really excellent. He played very bravely. He put in a lot of short cross kicks where instead of you don't, you're... Your man out wide can be more or less level with you. He doesn't have to have any depth. You just kick it forward. And, you know, he kicked very acute angles. Really impressed by that, the bravery to go that. They're passing and they're, they're an in, intent to do as they were coached, which is to try and beat that Exeter rush defense by getting out, outside it. It was really good. Um, where it went wrong, you know, it started with the bounce of a ball. And uh, Nash, I felt handle that poorly it was, it's an unlucky bounce Jack Dunn did incredibly well both to gather it not to not to commit any penalty indiscretions so he could be penalised for the score and then uh, Munster really lost their way I think the you know in the wider aspect I think the tournament has started really really well like it's a shame not to have the return fixtures against teams you've played previously but the first two rounds have been excellent I, I agree that the entertainment value of the rugby has been brilliant I think the commitment of the English teams uh, even with sales uh, you know rotation lineup seems to be much higher they all just seem to be maybe on a surer footing and feeling better about themselves after the World Cup French teams are really rich and powerful makes for lots of good and interesting games Um, I still just think that the format is I mean the <laughs> the teams who are, are are kind of the most obvious team who is not a good addition to this tournament is Connacht at the moment, who look like they're getting it flogged in most of their games. Yeah, they do. Uh, they 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 got off to the worst possible start, um, like losing that huge loss at home to Bordeaux. Like home losses are so much worse than away losses. Firstly, there's more of your own fans there to see it, and secondly like the nature of playing at home has been attested to that it's beneficial to you. So to get beaten out the gate, it just it essentially, I would say it almost killed them in their first game. And then shipping a heavy loss to Saracens. And a game where they didn't play particularly badly, Saracens can do that to you and did it to them. So yeah, it looks like Connacht are done and dusted. It looked like they were done and dusted after one game. Um, Munster, so I, I said to you prior to this conversation, that I certainly expect. I think Frisch is the guy who really caught my eye in particular. Mm. I think he's a guy who's going to be pushing to start a game in the Six Nations. It might be, it might be Scotland or Italy at home. 
but he, he looks to have talent to play at a higher level, I think, and a skill set to play at a higher level and the physique to play at a higher level than than European club rugby. Uh, and the other one, uh, you repeatedly flagged Tom Ahern, seeing him gallop up the wing from 50 yards out. It's a thing of beauty. It's a great sight. Um, what did you think of Munster? Thought they played really well. Thought they made a few individual errors where they just like cheap turnovers. Thought Casey turned the ball over quite easily. Thought Murray turned the ball over quite easily. You know, Nash let it bounce twice rather than just just get on it once. And um, like extremely costly. So I thought in the balance of play throughout the match, uh, particularly as they were playing away, they were better. And they just conceded, you know, bad tries at, at a bad time. Like, I mean, Jack Dunn, like the ball handling skills, Jack Dunn to, to catch it on the run, the athleticism looked extremely impressive. Um, I think Leinster will be signing him to replace Orgy Snyman in a few years by the look of stuff. But then, like, he's he's subbing for Exeter, you know? Like, he's, he's, not, he's not nailed on starting. So... Um, if I was involved with Munster, like if I was the chief exec or the, you know, whatever, like a board member, I'd have absolutely no concerns about what Munster are doing. I, you know, I think they probably got a few lucky bounces last year. They probably had a few unlucky bounces this year. Um, but overall, like the, the ability to score four tries in Exeter when you're playing away, when you're missing a few front liners, is very impressive. And, you know, it just sort of comes well for you. I guess, you know, their scrum isn't strong. And we talked about this last week with, with Irish teams. Like, it's it's definitely an issue. Um, I was talking about it after the match, or after last week's podcast, and then I forgot about it. So I'll, I'll say it now while I remember. Like, I, I would have, uh, is it Finneen? Is the second row? Oh, you said it last week. No, I think I think we Witcherly. stopped recording though. We yeah, yeah. So Josh, Josh is the front row. I had a Finian Witcherly playing front row from now on. Like looking at him, he's a, he's a super rugby player, absolutely class rugby player. And you just sort of wonder, like Jesus, can like he's he's a guy who's able to play pro rugby. Now the only question is, like, is he able to play pro rugby in the front row? Um, and. Like if he didn't do it for three years and then was able to do it at the end of three years, I think you'd have a good return on it. Like if you were if you were to give him like he's so fit. And if he was good enough, you'd probably have another three or four seasons out of him, allowing for the fact it might take three years to get around there. But like at the same time, you look at Edward and Dogbo, you look at Tom Ahern, you go, that's what a professional second row looks like. Doesn't look like Finney Witcher. He just he just won't be able to compete at that level, as good and all as a rugby player as he is. And it's you know, like, Billy Billy Holland got so many caps for Munster and was so good throughout his career. But he just, like, you know, what did he got? He got one cap against, was it America or Canada, where you go, like, that's it. There just, there isn't, there isn't the capacity to pick you against Maro Atoje and even Etzebeth. It's just like the, like, it's it's not there, you know? So, um, I think that's that. I thought that um, uh, Jaeger... Jaeger fulfilled what you said he would do. You know, like he's he's a big fella, but the Crusaders aren't a, you know, destructive team. 
and he had problems against the the Georgian guy Abeladze, I think it was, uh, when he started off. So, you know, he's he's obviously a guy who's capable of playing professional rugby, capable of playing. He's he's a big fella. Um, but I think the Irish teams need a lot of technical work yeah. on their scrums, just, a- just 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 to sort of. Like just to get the ball in and out and like not get penalized and give themselves a bit of an attacking platform because it's just it's an absolute feature of this year's European rugby mm. that Irish teams are in big trouble. Roundtree's a good scrum coach. Like that was always his, his specialty. So I would see that if if Jaeger spends more time with him and with his teammates, there's room for improvement because he is very big and strong. You know, he is six foot four and 130 kilos. So um like they were missing a lot of power in the second row. They put in Coombs. It takes a lot away from his carrying game, although he did make some nice turnovers. But missing Klein, Snyman, and Dogbo, like that's that's a lot of second row I have to be missing. And just in general, missing a lot of big players. You know, they're missing Haley Carberry, O'Mahony especially, Kilcoin. No, it's kind of like they didn't have the pop. Cherry Thorn is written about it. They didn't have any pop off the bench because they didn't have anybody on the bench that they could. They had very limited players they could bring on. Like Gleason is going to be great. Ben O'Connor is probably going to be good. But these are lads are teenagers and you're playing European rugby against a good team. They're not going to be able to make the impact that you would hope for from, you know, some of like being able to bring on Klein or Simon. So, uh, but I agree with you 100%. I would not be worried if I was in the Munster Brass. I think the coaching team are doing a good job. They're improving players. And the players that are getting a chance are performing. So there's obviously good morale in the organization in terms of the playing uh, group. And, you know, I look at the Munster Academy and Munster young players in your, and academy and it's the most talented it's been in a good long time, 20 years, I'd say almost. Uh, but at the moment, yeah, they're, they're in a really fucking dicey situation. If you were the... Uh theoretical Ulster CEO, how would you be feeling after they uh, turned up and played well for the first time in ages? In a big game on a Saturday night in front of the mad Ravenhill crowd. I'd just be wondering what comes next. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know how often you can go to that emotional well um, and call players out. And I, I don't know if they've turned a corner. Uh, hopefully they have turned the corner, but like you're really looking for Ulster to put like three or four matches in a row where they win them and they have just, just a very consistent style of play. Like just, just big performances where it's, it's not all Stuart McCluskey. Like I, I think, I still think there's too much reliance on McCluskey. Um, it's been notable, interestingly enough, for me that McCann has been gone for the last few weeks and the standard is, has stepped down, whereas when McCann played, Ulster were quite good. Now, McCann doesn't have huge experience with Ulster and he's still very young, but you know he won man of the matches when he was there and he was very involved. Like He was lineheads, he was tackles, he was carries. He's an Ulster guy. Um, I don't know if that's cause or correlation, but... You know, he's he's another personality. But even like when Rob Herring was back, they, they got worse, which was surprising. Mm. Um, he's not a guy who ever plays badly. He he 
and he's he's bringing a lot of experience. He's in the best form of his career. Um, he's he's a club captain. So I I don't know, to be honest. No. I, I I think I think the same that I've I've thought for nearly the last year that they need an additional voice in their coaching squad. I'm exactly the same as you. I don't know what what Ulster team. I thought Ulster would lose. Uh, and I said, you know, they played their best game of the season. Played some really nice rugby. Forwards and backs. Uh, they were abrasive, you know. Okay, well, uh, you know, the classic thing is they'll, they'll come into the changing room and they'll go, that's the standard. They'll bang the edge of one hand down on the flat of the other and go, that's the standard. And you know what's next week? It's fucking not going to be the standard. It won't be. Like, I don't know what it is with Ulster. Like, they're... I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's if it's that there's cliques in the in the squad and that there's people who played for Ireland, people who haven't played for Ireland. The whole or, backlines nearly played for Ireland. Yeah, not regularly though. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know what it is. Uh, last last week they had last two weeks they had a lot of vocal going out into the media and berating themselves or McFarland berating them. We talked about this. I, I that was. You know, it seemed to do the job, but like, are they going to have to, you know, are they going to play badly next week and then fucking go out in the media and go, we have to do better than that again? Like, I don't know where this is, where this is going. I wouldn't be confident that they can, um, I wouldn't be confident that they can qualify from their group. Well, they have to play again. Toulouse and Harlequins. Yeah. So they have to play one team that you just don't want to play at all and one team that you quite fancy yourself against. So I think they will get out of it and then like it's kind of difficult to see Ulster going away from home two matches in a row in Europe and, and winning them. I think if they did, their season would be a success and I think they get in a mad buzz of it. But I don't think they're going to get a home last 16 match. I think they will get a last 16 match, but then they're going to be playing away it's hard to see them win that. If they did win that, it would be huge, but I think they'd have another away match, which you'd have to expect them to lose. And if they did win that, it would be absolutely massive. And something would have happened along the way to that semi-final. But like, I, I can't see it happen. <laughs> I can't tell you what it's going to be. I, I, I don't see, like, at sort of the same time this season, I was gone. I can see, I can see stirrings in Munster even though it's going bad about them. Like, I can see an identity about the way that they're trying to play. I can see that it's so different from how they had been playing under Van Graan for so long mm. that it sort of reminded me of Farrell's Island, where you go... Um, and even and even before that, like, about, about Pat Lamb's Connacht, where, like, they're trying something different. And it's not that the different is good, it's that what preceded it wasn't particularly good. And... Um, they're going through that transition. Whereas, I I can't I can't see that against. I can't see that in Ulster. I, I I can't see why a team with Kitsoff and Rob Herring and Marty Moore and Ian Henderson is getting absolutely beasted by Bath. And that's just one example. But there just seems to be too many gaps from where guys should be, you know, are capable of playing it to what they're actually producing. And then you have really odd things. Like last year, you know, Tom Stewart scored something like 16 tries, you know, 15 of them from uh, driving malls. And this game, like, 
I think they fucked up five line outs between Herring and Stewart in the first like what twenty two minutes? Like what happened to your line out? Like you've got the same personnel apart from this kid's not fucking everything up the double world cup winner. So like I this team is so unpredictable. It's a frustrating team. Um they have enough talent that if they had if they had like a this is not, I don't want to shit on Dan McFarland, but if they had a genius coach, uh, like a catch lightning in a bottle like Pat Lamb did in 2015-16 with Connor, like, certainly, like, there's certainly enough talent there that they could win, win the league. Like, if they all play, if Balakum, uh, Stuart Moore, Stockdale, Hume, I'm not just going to name all the backline, but if all those guys play their best rugby, like they're fucking extremely good. And then you've got enough good tight five forwards, like their their back row is is improving. It's certainly McCann is their best back row player in quite a while. Certainly the best home run, grown one. Uh, and, and Timothy played, no, French Timothy played really well. I felt the last day, but you know they have enough good players. And if they were able to get that, if they were able to have a particularly live wire coach who really inspired them and they all they had a, a brilliant captain like Muldoon which is like I'm not sold on Henderson as a captain although I don't feel particularly that he's a bad captain it's just like when your team plays badly this often you know captaincy is an issue uh, that team's good enough anyway to, that team will be good enough to win the league but if, I just, that's not happening this year I'd be, sh- I, I'd be so shocked if that happened this year, I'd really struggle to believe it. If they went on a run, if they qualified, say in the in say away away games, you know, five down, I'd be really shocked if they did what Munster did last season. Or fuck it, I was going, oh, do you remember what Pat Lamb did seven years ago? Do you remember what Roundtree did last year as well? You know, yeah, they got like they got the team playing together well, and he he had a big part in that. Um, so I just don't see I just don't see that with us I'm not sure where this season is going yeah I was, it's funny you went back to that round tree I was just thinking of the thing you said earlier on that maybe they got a few lucky bounces at the, start, at the end of last season and a few unlucky bounces at the start of this season because I had in my in my head I had sort of I think I had placed Munster's end of season last year as kind of the level they were at and I think the start of the season has been like they're not quite at that level, but they're still good. They're still like going in the right direction. Loads of talented players bringing in more young talented players, and like they obviously feel good about themselves, if not their results. Um, and they're going to have to move on from uh, Peter O'Mahony and Connor Murray soon enough. Like they haven't made they haven't made a huge contribution yet this season, and they're both getting quite old. Uh, and like, if they do continue playing, Oman, he's going to continue playing for Ireland more than Munster, I'd say. Um, with Ulster, yeah, you just don't know if they're, you don't like. They seemed excited about themselves on Saturday night, but it's sort of when they have to play, you know, someone less glamorous in a sort of shitter time slot. Uh, are like they Edinburgh? Gonna, yeah, are they, they lost at home to Edinburgh, which yeah, like, is just the, the clangor of results this season um they got a bonus point out of it but it's at home though 
Like, I mean, they, they should they should be winning that by double figures. Yeah. Uh, in Ravenhill. But uh, as you said, the, it's the, like, could you imagine them sort of tearing up the form book and winning two big away games in a row and this season you're gone? No. no, I can't. I don't see that. I don't no. foresee that happening. But the main thing they should be looking to do is just win all their home games. That's like, be such... They have to win all their home games. 100%. They have to win all their home games. Like, this is... Uh, all the stuff I'm saying is very outcome-driven. But I've been watching Ulster play sort of... I wouldn't say similarly. Like, so some of the time... They play variations of the same game all the way through. There's not much growth in players. Players go up and go, go down in the same sort of column. They either play better... Or they play worse. They don't seem to broaden, or, or like, or go up a level and side go up and sidestep a level and go. Now he's an international player. You know they they sort of play just the same. Like McCluskey was their best player before uh, Dan McFarland arrived. Their best back, apart from sorry Jacob was their best back, but McCluskey was incredibly productive for them, and he still is. Um, so. That's uh, yeah. I, I've like I wasn't frustrated. Like I like Ulster. I was happy to see them win and play well. And I love their their set pieces were uh, their set piece try scoring moves were really good. Really enjoyed that. Cooney was great. Sorry, how didn't I not say this before? Now Cooney was brilliant. Uh, but yeah, I'm. I find them a frustrating team. Yeah, potential is there. I thought I was. Boys to see Robert Balakun get his hands on the ball a lot more than I have seen of late mm. in that game. Uh, even if he didn't have a chance to like do that, like just you know blaze, just blaze through or around someone or through a gap, but uh, just enjoyable to see him get his hands on the ball. I think they play better with Cooney in the team, one hundred percent. Even though I think Doak is good, um, and I think, I mean, I could just be a fan of John Cooney, but I think the fact that he seems to really evidently play the game with a smile on his face and he has this very open personality. I think James Hume has it as well. Um, like, the rest of them seem fucking worried all the time. Yeah, Nick Timoney has a frown like almost all the time. Even when he gets man of the match, he yeah. looks really sort of critical and disappointed with yeah. his own performance. Um, and... You know, you go back to all the blues and the personality. It, they, yeah, I, I, yeah. There's, there's definitely the vibes aren't, yeah, there in Ulster at the moment. And and again, like that's why I think you you need a different, you need a different coat. Just on the subject of Doke, this is the other thing that I thought about and talked about with you guys after the, um after last weekend, after the podcast, and didn't say it, and I wrote it down, so this is what I wanted to say it this week, is that um, the French scrum halves, like scrum half after scrum half in France are just class. And it's like, you kind of look at the way that we in Ireland think about scrum half, and you just go like, we're doing it wrong. Like we just have our smallest guy nipping around the place on each team, and he's your scrum half because this is what scrum halves look at. And like if if it was guy, you'd sort of go, well, that's understandable. But it's not guy. Like it's an international sport where you look at other players, the other teams, and you just go, but 
like, should we not do it better? And even in an Irish context, I know we're repeating ourselves, but we didn't record it. You look at Conor Murray being the best scrum half. He doesn't look like a prototypical Irish scrum half. He doesn't, mm-hmm. he doesn't look like a scrum half full stop in Ireland. So you sort of hoped with Doak that he'd be better than he is now um, from what you saw as under 20. Because at under 20, he was the dominant player in his team. And he was obviously a really good footballer. Like, he, he can place kick. Um, so he's got to go kicking game. But he's he kicks too much, you know? Like, he's kind of... He does a huge amount of box kicking. And you're there going, no, no, like you want to... You want to play like a French scrum half and take guys on around the like have a breaking threat, have an offloading threat, like be a baller, have a, have a ball and threat. Like Luku for France, he comes on and you go, oh, he's such a downgrade on Antoine Dupont. Like he's bald. I don't know who he is. Um, he's not like the best player in the world. He can only but be a disappointment. Mm-hmm. When you when I saw him play for Bordeaux, I was there going, this guy is magnificent. He is an absolute handful to play mm-hmm. against. He just, he's hes such a threat. He's so creative. He's so aware. But he's, like, is he the best, second best scrum half in France? Like, they, they probably have another three guys who are yeah. just as good as him. Baptiste Serran, Nolan Lagarde, like, they have, they have a rake of really good scrum halves. Machino, Teddy Ribéran. Like, there's loads. Of- <laughs> yeah. And you sort of go, like, j- just the way that game is, just the way that position is thought about is... Uh, we're just doing it wrong in Ireland. Well, maybe Ulster aren't though, because they have these. Maybe Ulster aren't. Yeah. They have these guys who are, you know, who are more of the. Both of them would be more like a French scrum half than than an Irish scrum half. The thing, the difference between, I, I don't know, you all have asked this question. When is it okay to to like actually criticize a so called you know young player? Like the difference between Cooney and Doak is the expression on their face. Cooney is a big open face with very expressive, which people respond to. And Nathan Doak, like always pinched and scowling. And that is something. <laughs> no, I'm fucking. Yeah, absolutely. Like these things are, they, you know, how's that anything to do with rugby? It's because like people respond to what they see, whether they're rugby players or other businessmen. Um, and, and when you said, oh, he looks like he's enjoying it, he plays with a smile on his face, you know, what does that cliche mean? It's like, he looks as though he is enjoying himself out on the pitch, that he's not burdened and that he's able to play his best because he knows he's good. And that encourages other people to play their best and try and enjoy this thing that they're really good at. And that's what Cooney gives you. And also, like, you know, James Ryan is always... like I can't remember seeing James Ryan smile on the pitch at all. And you can't be yeah. like that with referees. Like, If you are, you know, a sort of you know, fucking, you know, chieftain type of person like Peter O'Mahony, you can snarl at them all, all the time. But there's, those people are few and far between. Otherwise, you have to have an expressive, open... Uh, like, Martin Johnson used to do this big pantomime and stuff with referees. Like, Martin Johnson was, had a very mobile face, despite the unibrow. <laughs> do you remember? Like, oh, look, he's hitting me, ref. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, all of that stuff. Shawnee Fitz is very charming. So you have to be able to, to talk to referees and go, oh... Like when Ringrose went over to the ref and goes, what will I tell the props? <laughs> <laughs> you know? What do you want me to say to the props? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so that sort of thing, that helps if you're a captain that you, you know, that you can, like Jenna used to always scold at refs, but Jenna would smile and like go, you know, I know more than you about refereeing. Whereas Leah would listen to them and nod, you know? So, um, 
like I, that's that's neither here nor there. But I think the difference between Doak and and Cooney, both of whom like they both kick, they both kick goals, they both really run the team from nine rather than handing off the responsibilities to ten. Is that like Cooney looks like he's having a great time, and also he's eight years older than Doak, so I still have hopes for Doak. But I think that there's a sort of, I think that there's a, there's room for growth from personality wise, not to be so because he comes across as quite petulant. Like, I don't want to fucking character assassinate him. I don't know the lad, but this is what I see on the television. That's my opinion of him. Yeah, I... Well, we have constantly commentated on the importance of the vibes to contemporary rugby, as well as just the, you know, the training patterns. And Munster have vibes. And Ulster, they do not have vibes. Not right now. Yeah, not right now. Yeah, not right now. And change very quickly. As yeah, well. they, you know, Ulster used to, like, Ulster had one of the biggest vibes ever back when they won the European Cup. And that was 24 years ago. But Jesus, that was, that was such a vibe year for them. Yeah. They came down to Dublin. Everyone just knew oh, they were going to win it. Andy Ward, David Holmes, just like, literally playing like the two best players in the world. They need to bring it back. Big Ulster vibe. Maybe to have some kind of love Ulster parade. Yeah.